0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one.
0: Break It Down Podcast back again. I want to thank y'all. It's special, today's special, because you may be hearing this for the first time, and welcome if you are on Adobe Radio. Live. I'm premiering my episodes on Adobe, and I'm very thankful to potentially have some new audience there. So welcome, everybody. Uh, this show will be on live, premiering at 7 o'clock Eastern time every Thursday night on Adobe. So go to Adobe.com. Catch that live premiere next week. And if you're joining me in podcast land, that is great, too. And if you're in podcast land, you'll know who my guest is today. It's James Paul Wisner, uh, producer from many, many great bands, some, some, one of my favorite producers out there. And if you're in radio land, well, now you know. You're caught up, too. All right. I love having good sponsors like this. It really is a treat. So here we go. This episode is brought to you by Kings Road Merch and the official Jimmy Eat World online store. Awesome. So, Kings Road and Jimmy Eat World. Uh, that, here's what they've done: they've brought back the entire catalog of recut, colored vinyl for all the Jimmy Eat World stuff. They got Static Prevails. There's Clarity, which is my favorite. Uh, Bleed American, Futures, and Chase the Light, along with the EP Stay on My Side tonight. That's all. on And that one, the EP, that's the very first time it's ever been on vinyl. So. Quite special, quite cool indeed. Some of these are close to selling out, so you really should go get these. If you're into vinyl, if you're into Jimmy world, it's kind of a no-brainer. So head to kingsroadmerch.com slash Jimmy for this, and they got a bunch of other cool stuff too there. So kingsroadmerch.com slash Jimmy. All right. So, last thing I'll tell you is go to my website if you're new. Uh, there's a bunch of good stuff over there. There's a video of the episode I did last week that's doing really well, and that is the one where I had the promoter from the festival where the where Emory didn't get paid. So, there's a, I had the actual promoter on the show and. Had a good conversation with him and tried to see his point of view on how you can go bust on a big festival that has Emory and Devil Wears Prada and the Deftones on it. And what happens when you don't have enough money to pay the bands. And that's at BreakItDownPod.com. Also, go over there. Find your way to iTunes. And if you're into podcasts at all, subscribe to this one. Do it on the iTunes app. Get it so it comes to your phone every time. I'll put it this way. If you're listening on Adobe Radio, why don't you go get into this podcast, catch all the back episodes and the future ones um, on the podcast feed. And if you're a podcast person, well, maybe check us out on Adobe Live next week on Thursday at 7 p.m. in the Jabberjaw Media Block. Another Jabberjaw show is over there, too, and that's Modern Vinyl, and that's at 5 o'clock. So, anyway, see you guys there next week. One more ad real quick here, and we'll have James Paul Wisner. I have some tremendous good news for everybody, and that is that SoundRank.com, which is an experience company, is bringing you exclusive VIP upgrades for, guess what, the Taste of Chaos Tour. Now, if you hadn't been paying attention, the Taste of Chaos Tour has Dashboard Confessional, Taking Back Sunday, Saleson with Anthony Green, and the early November. There's a full U.S. tour. It's going to go in everywhere starting June 3rd, and then it ends in San Bernardino with this like crazy uh, festival version of the tour, and that's going to be on July 16th. There's a bunch of other acts Awesome stuff, including Reggie and the Full Effect, I think, is going to be on that one. So go to Jabberjaw.SoundRink.com and use this coupon code BREAK to get $5 off any VIP upgrade. So you should go. You should get the VIP. They've got some really good deals, and you're going to get $5 off, which I'm sure this tour and the VIP is going to be a blast. So don't forget, use the coupon code BREAK, $5 off your VIP upgrade. Break you down Break it down, oh break it 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 down, down, oh, down. Like for Yeah! Well, James, thank you for joining me on the show today. You're welcome. I know you and I don't really know each other, but that's okay. That's what this is for. I do a lot of podcasts with people that I, I know, but you're somebody that's recorded some of my favorite records ever, and so I lament the fact that we haven't, or at least haven't yet, gotten the chance to, to work together. Okay, awesome. Thank you. It's just, you know, you're all the way down there in Florida, and Emery's from up here in Seattle. And so it just seemed like a long drive when we first, when we made our first record, um, we did it with Ed Rose in Kansas, and we thought that was about as far as we could drive to make our first album. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Were you considering me? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, you and Ed Rose, and I think, you know, honestly, I believe it's probably you and Ed Rose and Aaron Sprinkle were probably the people that we thought were really awesome in 2003. Okay, got it. Kind of a thing. And so... It just worked out that we went to do the thing with Ed Rose then, and then we did the next record with Sprinkle. I live in Seattle, and I've worked with Sprinkle ever since then, so I've engineered and worked with him for like several years after that, and he's done a few of our records, and I've done the rest of ours during that time. But uh, I think it was, you know what it was? It was uh, Gatsby's drove down there, right, the same time we were making our first records when they were making Ribbon's and Sugar. So that was that, that yeah. was the first thing. I mean, we knew some of the stuff you'd done before that, but that was the time when we were making our record and those guys had just gotten back and they were in the same local scene as us at the time. So it was, in, in fact, the local scene in Seattle, the bands that came out of there right around that time was Emory and Acceptance and Gatsby's American Dream. We all were playing oh, okay, got it. local shows at the same time. Do you remember that Gatsby's record very well?
2: Oh, I, I very much remember it.
0: Yeah. I don't know if everybody's super familiar with them or even that record, but that one's ribbons and sugar and that's totally my favorite one. What do you remember about doing that one?
2: Well, I remember the way we recorded, which uh it was one of the records that I processed every track through my atari half inch tape machine oh really yeah yeah and uh and I was going for a certain vibe uh i'm I'm a fan of brendan o'brien mm-hmm. and and uh you know was trying to get that tape type of vibe and and so did with that tape. yeah that's not yeah. what
0: most people mean when they say to tape is usually two inch tape a big machine is what people would be referring to so
2: yeah yeah so it was a half inch two track uh machine and uh and i just went for one of those and kind of used it like a big effects box you know i would record the track uh, uh the tracks mm-hmm. and then i would start running each track through
0: so you would track onto tape and then dump it to pro tools no 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 I'd go into
2: uh into Pro Tools first. Uh-huh. And and then I would process Oh I for, see. Yeah. And, and I probably ran it through some, you know, analog compression or, you know, just some to cuz I've always kind of loathed the uh recording in the box, mm-hmm. you know, plugins uh at least back then.
0: So when did I mean what did you start on that you moved when did you move to in the box and digital and computers and all that then? Did you just, well, I never really came you were from the recording tape. before. I imagine before you were on Pro Tools, whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, not that far behind, though. So when I got into it and and really took it on, I mean, back when I was uh, you know a teenager, early twenties, a little experience with tape, but then kind of came in when the ADATs were going. Oh, Do you yeah, remember the eightat? Yeah, the eight track VHS, yeah.
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then. I saw that the computers were starting to do multi track and logic, uh, eMagic Logic was yep. a software, and they had like four tracks, and that was like a real big deal. And, uh, you know, you could do a little bit of pitch correction. And um, so then I started combining the two, and I even had this Akai four track hard disk recorder, mm-hmm. and that was syncing with the ADATs and, you
0: know, stuff I was, like that. I did some hard disk stuff like on Roland eight track. Is where I first stuff I was doing in college and stuff like that. It was on those Roland V S stations. The VS eight eighty? Yeah, VS eight eighty. Right? Yeah, it was eight forty okay. and eight eighty is what I used to use.
2: Right, yeah. I tried doing a few albums on that and uh and it had like sixty four virtual tracks and yeah. you could bounce things around. That's and- right. Yeah.
0: Uh, that is really funny. But so those Gatsby's guys, and I think they had a uh, – is it right? I don't know if you remember this or not, but I believe they had a car accident coming home. They crashed their van on the way home from your place is what I remember. No, that I that. don't remember. Yeah, I think they, uh, they hit, hit, had something hit ice on the way back. I think it was – was it wintertime? Was it not? Spring, wintertime? You I, that, I don't. But, yeah, I don't. But that's cool. The, um, I heard you on another show uh, recently, and there's a couple things that stood out to me on that. But uh, I heard you started doing vocal lessons recently. Well, that I might did. have been a little while ago, and I heard it, but
2: well, I I did, and then I've kind of had to stop with everything that's that's been going on, uh, and then uh, and so I want to pick them back up, uh, but yeah,
0: well, I'd well, love I mean, to do it, but well, I want to talk about that, but what what is it? What do you mean? Things is going on? I'm sorry, I might be out of the loop on something, but what, what do you mean when you say everything's been going on?
2: Well, my mother is teaching me and she's been a a, a vocal teacher mm-hmm. for a long time and, and actually she's been uh, a little bit sick. Oh,
0: I'm really sorry uh, to hear that. that.
2: That's okay. She's doing better now. So we want to pick that up. And and then I've, I've been busy uh, doing stuff. So um, it was kind of hard to, to to do everything that I am was trying to do.
0: Well, interesting you say it that way though because that's not the way most people think of singing. And I think what struck me is that you would somebody that's an accomplished musician with a career that clearly has an ear, that clearly knows how to play music, arrange music, and literally is like a, a doctor working on people's vocals all day for a career, that you would take the singing so late and take it seriously enough to where you actually have to note that you've stopped temporarily, aren't working as hard on it as well, you, you know should. What when most yeah. people think of vocals as just this super pure thing, either you got it or you don't. So that's, that's what I'm really interested in there.
2: Yeah, you know what? The thing with vocal lessons with me, like, I can carry a tune. I know what's going on technique-wise. I can work with a singer. Mm -hmm. But me personally, uh, assimilating the technique, for whatever reason, it's been this big freaking (laughs) ordeal that's been the most frustrating thing. Well, did you not grow up uh, singing
0: even? Or
2: anything? um, Yeah, but incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And, And just the thing of... You know, I would love just to be able to open my mouth and sing and just let it happen. And, you know, so I can sing, but I've brushed a few times where I've done it correctly. And it's a much different voice. You know, I have potentially a really good voice. Uh, and like I say, I can sing now. But yeah, it's it's actually been quite a challenge for me. So
0: well, most people don't think of it that way because here's there's a big gap there because I don't I'm, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not. But for most people, just everybody I know that can sing well. They just go, I don't know, you just got it or you don't is what they say. And I really don't buy that. I think you can learn to do stuff. But the the thing is, people that at an early age got a ton of encouragement, or maybe had some natural talent. Maybe it's always been natural to them. I can see that. Uh, because they thought when they were three <clears throat> singing and people told them they were good, they go, yeah, I know, I'm good. But maybe they weren't even that good, but they were told that they were good, so they continued to sing, well, continued to you know, be encouraged, and then it feels like it always was natural, but they weren't always good at it. I think even those people learned. And, of course, it's er- er- easier to learn when you're young, but I don't, I don't buy that that you can't learn something later.
2: Yeah, you know, when I'm talking about learning, I'm talking about doing it in a way where mm-hmm. – Uh, it's not putting pressure on your throat. Like there's a lot of guys who have been great singers and then their voices slowly blow out over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, then there's a guy like Mick Jagger where my understanding of him is he was doing his thing and then at a certain point he took on vocal lessons and that's why he's able to keep singing Mm in his 70s. Where a guy like Paul McCartney, you can really hear the wear and tear Mm -hmm. uh, on his voice because he never really took that on. So I think the thing that I'm uh, distinguishing Is the the technical part Mm -hmm. and really supporting from the diaphragm and there's a lot of guys and maybe that's the the case for you where it just happens naturally. Oh, it's
0: not the case for me. I can't sing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. I I, well, you know, two years ago, three years ago, now I decided to learn how to sing. So I've been in music my whole life. I I produce records and record and tune and do the vocals for our records and feel like I've understood it my whole life, but I've just never really done it or felt like I was always uncomfortable with my own voice and thus never really put any time into it to it or I was never like "Ooh, listen to me I've never fallen in love with the sound of my own voice I've always been aware of well this isn't very good or you know I just don't have the the amount of hours it takes to have really good control so when I hear myself (laughs) sing I hear myself sing poorly and out of tune like Mm, I'm very critical of the way that I sing so I took to learning it too uh and I just think of it like this I think yeah of course there's some natural people but you know, I could be like maybe the Tim Tebow of singing or something. You know, I can well, learn to I, do it and just, be, you know, I'll never have that beautiful throw or anything like that. But I can get it to where I can actually do singing or sing from for some people. But I was in Emory for 10 years. We had two really good singers for 10 plus years. I was like, well, I don't need to sing. We've got two good singers. And then right. I kicked myself because I could have been in that microphone every night on stage singing for crowds and getting used to, you know, getting really getting used to it and learning how to do it. Cause that's really, what it takes is just the hours and the experience kind of thing to really refine it. Like a, yeah. every singer's better ten years later, and I could have been putting myself up there doing backups a little bit poorly and then maybe been decent at it. So I had to take to doing it the same way you did. To I did a DVD courses of lessons and just learned all the different parts of the voice and how to use it and where where it flips to head voice and how to try to blend them. And it's a very cerebral right. for me, but not natural whatsoever.
2: Got it. Got it. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, like I say I mean, I can open my mouth and sing and carry a tune uh, but you know it, it'll be kind of tense and it's not there's a potential there and, and when I work the technique aspect of it then my voice really opens up but unfortunately I have to really work. Well
0: what's the what's the reason you want to do that later in life? Is you have a goal for singing? Like put out a record? Yeah, I of, do of, because
2: of all, all my life uh, while I've been producing other bands, I have my own music. Mhm. And it's just something that I, you know, uh, at this point in my life, because of the the skill set that I've built up with being able to program virtual instruments and all these different types of things, and I've got, ongoingly, I'm always throwing down rough ideas,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and it's something that I'd like to complete. I'd like to create an album. Do you, know? do you
0: have an interest in performing, or more just to record it and put it out?
2: Just more just actually just more just recording it, just to do mm-hmm. something and just hear what. You know my particular thing is mm-hmm. so.
0: Well, I, I uh, commend that that attitude very much to to get to get with it and keep doing it and never stop learning and doing stuff later in life. I'm not saying you're an old guy or nothing, but
2: it's yeah, it's, yeah. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it's just something I want to do, and so
3: yeah. Well,
0: that's good. Do you think you're going to continue to produce? As you think you're a lifer at production and recording? Um.
2: Yeah, I mean, in in one way or another, I mean, I, I've more lately been getting into mixing, mm-hmm. you know, which I love mixing, um, and and I love producing, and I, you know, if there was some way of being able to take my musical ability and you know create something, whether it's instrumental stuff or or, or songs, and be able to make some sort of uh, you know money with that then that would be great
0: both of your parents so, are, are music people for for life but you think you'd be in music for life basically oh absolutely and you've that's always it, known that um yes that's really yeah. cool
2: yeah from about when i was 11 when I, uh when i discovered the the beatles mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and i and i did grow up in a musical family and my my father uh who i have a tremendous amount of respect for uh was was quite a successful producer and worked with a lot of amazing people and uh yeah it was just his life so i i just kind of grew up in that and, and at a certain point it really hit me and i was like you know what this is this is what i'm doing
0: that's pretty cool dude you know i was talked to a couple of other guys recently Ed Rose was one and Mark Trombino, who now he makes donuts and didn't really record in records anymore and, oh, uh, really? Okay. And Ed Rose bought a restaurant at one point and stopped, and it basically isn't recording records now either. So if I look at the three of you guys as the people that I was into and listening to or would have wanted to work, you know, just people that were around when I was first getting into this stuff and, and listening to their stuff or people that I call the producers that I really enjoy, two of them kind of got out of it and went into doing restaurants and food service stuff.
2: Yeah, that's a trip. <laughs> How does uh, that strike that- you? yeah that's wild no I won't be making donuts <laughs> <laughs> you know it, the, the, I think the main overall thing is that for me is like this is pretty much what I can do yep and and uh and stuff just shows up enough to to keep me going uh and and so that's what I'm doing <laughs>
0: well, I mean you know they, a lot of people including them or and me I, I cite the you know what's happened with the industry and money and budgets has that not been a crunch on you?
2: Oh, absolutely it has yeah. but
0: it wouldn't I mean you' you're, you're you're determined to figure it out uh, yeah I, I or you would do uh, it for less money in, in ten years from now you'd be content to continue to do it even for less money if you could make it happen anyway there's, there's got to be a way I guess it
2: depends on you know the thing is is that I got into the business in such a non usual way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to me, it's just like, there's, there's just been this whole thing going on in terms of whatever I've been doing. um, How do I put it? It's just that if I'm focused on it and I'm staying, the the overall thing for me is that if I'm focused on it and it's my passion
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and I'm, thinking about it in a positive sense and that's kind of the key thing mm-hmm. i'm not dwelling on what's happening with the industry and all the all these things that were there were all kinds of reasons when i got into it you know however i got into it was almost a miracle so uh are you so saying it's, it's that
0: just, if, if you are interested in doing something enough uh i i think i almost know what you're saying because let me see if i identify with that correctly I, there's a lot of things i I do a lot of a bunch of different stuff from podcasting and music business stuff to recording to putting out my own music so I, I make money from a bunch of different things but i'm every single day. I'm usually doing whatever it is that I'm the most excited about, like the thing that I'm driven the most to care about or research or figure out. and it's yeah. v- very often not the thing where that's the, the it's not usually up the money pipeline. like right now I've spend I'm spending a ton of time trying to figure out how to get my camera hooked up good to some free software and figure out how to do lighting so that I could stream this podcast on YouTube for free live. And I don't think that's gonna be worth any money. But right, I, I can't right. stop trying to figure that out. And so in the long run, I think that will pay off, but not for any particular reason other than that's what I'm determined to do right now. And so yeah. that's kind of reminds me of what you're saying. Is that what? Where well, you're going? yes
2: and no. Cause at this point I do have to be more conscious
3: mm-hmm.
2: of that. It is going to be something that can also generate money, you know, because there, it, it is a business, but I, I, I definitely took things on when I decided to to get into it. I had a certain mindset and a focus, and then things happened, and they've kind of, it's kind of been like that.
0: Well, does sometimes you have to take uh, records that you're not interested in for money?
2: Uh, it it's not been at a point where it's like I'm not interested in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's been you know peaks and valleys. Is there you stuff know?
0: you have to? Is there stuff you will turn down even though it's, that it's paying that you don't like?
2: If I I have to really connect with it because Mm -hmm. the thing, you know, and you know this too, it's like if you're doing something, at a certain point when you're doing something day by you know, day after day, there's not enough money that you get paid for if you're hating it. Right. And the toll that it takes is not – Yeah, you just, and I just can't do that. That is true. You know, it's like I have to wake up and be like, all right, let's do this.
0: Yeah, you so. need exponentially more – like there's nothing wrong if somebody paid – said they were going to pay you hundred grand to, to work on some rich guy's fantasy record. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you're, you could just say, hey, they want me to do it, I'd do it. But they would have to pay – it had to be exponential money to, to, to lower to, to have to put <laughs> that kind of stuff into something that you, you dislike or you think is a joke or not good. You know, it is it's twice it's more than twice as hard. I mean, double the money to work on a terrible band is still a bad deal. Oh,
2: it's you know, really, I mean? yeah, that that
0: yeah. I do it for a million I, bucks and I I work on that, a local yeah, band I, over whatever, but I'd rather do a band I like that is uh, for you know bare bones money. Yeah,
2: I have to. Yeah, I do. I have to feel like I'm connecting with it
0: to do a good job, though.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing because that's what kind of that's what's driving me, and that's what keeps things going. Because if I kind of break that, and I'm really doing things for different reasons than than how I got into it, and and yes, things have changed, and there is an up and down to things. Um, But yeah, I still have to hold to that to this internal thing about it, and I have to love it.
0: What about if you get into a record halfway through and you figure out it's, you're not getting along with the people? Does that happen? Or you're not into it as you thought? Some records are a grind.
2: Yes, yes. There, I mean, it, it's never been where it's like, um, you know, fortunately, uh, there, there's never been a thing where, because usually I'll know, well, I will know before I even take it on. Now, there have been situations where you know, in the process where it's like, okay, this isn't what I thought it would be. Uh Um, But then I'm really kind of looking at the bigger picture of what am I doing with the band. And, and I have a big underlying commitment of that. I want to create something with them that they're really connecting with. So no, I don't always get to have my way about it. You know, there's different producers, different producers have different mindsets about how they take projects on and how they're working with the band. And for me, it, it's very important that the band is feeling connected to the ideas. Right. And so we find a way, you know.
0: Do you um, get a bunch of, do you get a, most of your work is referrals from projects you've done? You get that a lot?
2: Um, it's not necessarily referrals. It'll be that uh, they'll know of other work that i've yeah, done yeah that's
0: what i mean referring is yeah. the wrong word for that yes but, so I, I want i'm guessing like i guess for me i would say here in the moon is down further seems forever record is is probably what made me know your name at least the first time uh is that one that people drives a bunch of work your way over the years
2: yeah i mean uh i don't know how much so much anymore yeah to you me know? it's
0: like that's like the one of the most you know important records i wonder how does that if if that feels or noticed that way from your point of view or is that just narrow for me as a fan
2: no that has had a real big there's mm-hmm. there's a few albums that i've been super fortunate to have done that uh had a real big impact uh on on the scene uh or or just the which which was a big driving intention for me that's kind of my an underlying intention i want to make music that moves people mm-hmm um, and so I want to work with projects that are, that are, it's not even like we're going to change the world with our music, but right. it's just that uh, it just, we're trying to create something that, that really connects with people.
0: Well, let's talk about um, that record specifically, just for a sure, little bit, being that it's one of my favorites. And awesome. that was one of the first things you did professionally?
2: Not necessarily the first things I did. It was more the first thing I, I really, um, Spent a good deal of time on where it was like, okay, I'm going to put everything I've got uh-huh. into making this thing the best that I can How make it. How long did it
0: take to make that one?
2: I spent three months on it.
0: Wow. With the band for three months?
2: Not the band. I mean, the band I probably spent, um, I you know, I can't say that I really know for sure. but maybe it Probably over a two-month period and not like we were together every day. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it was me. Listening to stuff like Mark Trombino and stuff that was recorded on an SSL through Mm -hmm. tape, and sitting with my present state of digital technology and suffering over why can't I get this to sound? But that was what two
0: thousand or two thousand one. It was when digital didn't sound too good.
2: Well, digital. Well, the thing I had just gotten. It started out with the uh, with the dashboard stuff. The Places you come to fear the most. I had gotten this uh, digital console called a Yamaha O2R, mm-hmm. and that was like a big, a big step in the consumer market where you could have something at home. Uh, and I realized that it was a big step up as far as quality, at least digitally.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, uh, that that digital progressed somewhat. Out right. because the thing I had before that was the Roland BS880. Okay, so th- so the, the the Yamaha was a big step up. But at the same time, it still fell very short of your SSL, you know, big console uh, or a Neve console going through, you know, a great tape machine kind of thing.
0: Well, look, I'm gonna—I'll play this a little bit, but this doesn't sound to me. I mean, my memory could just maybe my nostalgia of it, but to me, digital isn't the word I think of here. Um, sounds quite natural to me. Well, thank you, thank you. Were you doing a lot of editing and stuff then? It was hard to do editing, probably. That there wasn't. Well, no,
2: because I was working with ADAS but I was also, Mm -hmm. I think, with digital. uh, I was working with a DAW. Yeah. Um, And the thing about that record is, um, yes, it sounds natural, um, but I like hand replaced every drum, uh, you know, just lining up and, and just doing it by, you know, and just trying to think of anything, because also I was dealing with my level of engineering competence, uh-huh. which at the time was, was uh, you know, I didn't really come up being schooled or whatever, I just kind of threw myself in it, and, uh, and that was my weakest area, was my engineering skill.
0: And so maybe that's why it took three months, not because you, you weren't good at it, but because you were doing hand replacing of every every drum and doing everything in that way, that slow, overly paying attention way to it because it was, you know. I,
2: yeah, I was just trying to do anything I could. I had a vision in my head. And, of course, what I'm doing is falling incredibly short.
0: Well, that's a good just, place to it, be if you have yes, the three months that, It is, But But, right. you know, it's not like, I mean, obviously, I think people know this, but you couldn't pull up a plug-in and drop a sample in to do the replacement. So I think there's something about it, to me, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm kind of surprised to hear that because it sounds very natural, even the thing. So the fact that you're doing it by hand probably adds a whole lot of, uh, a, less, a lot less of a mechanical sound that you're probably you, putting in different samples and velocities all the way through. You know, we you know your, the, the other versus just dropping in a mechanical sample
2: exactly. Well, the thing with that record, too, I think, uh, which really gives it the feel is that we didn't do it to a click track,
0: okay? You know, and yep, C, that helps
2: a lot too, yeah. And 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 so tracking was pretty tedious because there was no pasting, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't say, okay, the guitars are cool, let's just paste that on the chorus or anything like that. That and might be one of the
0: reasons it really stands up is no click. I, I think that's very cool, you know, I think that's definitely. You know, put some other element to it that is. There's too much perfection, and starting with oh, uh, tell me, track, about it. You know, that's about when everything started to become
2: yes. less alive. Yes.
0: So you sound you're a little bit. If you were the f- first people using Click and the first person people doing this when it was new, that's great. But if you're the, at, at some point you just keep raising this bar until it's outside of anything natural sounding. So. And
2: it is. That's how things are today. It, it's at a level of of. Uh, of perfection, that's you know, uh, and that's almost the fight. How do you keep it natural, if possible? But we're the, even the genre, the way it is, it's built around Pro Tools and this heavily edited type of thing, you know. But back doing those records, and you had played a little bit before of uh, the band Two Thirty Eight. Those were both records that weren't done to a click, mm-hmm. and particularly with Further Seems Forever with Steve uh, Kleiseth, the the drummer. He has this great feel, you know, mm-hmm. and he just has a very, very unique to him. Do you know what's so, crazy about of,
0: that? Is he, I thought he was one of my favorite drummers until I saw his left handed ass play live and I couldn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> I was still it forever. It's like this is—I mean, this is the, my, one of my favorite drummers. I can't, finally got to see him at some point, and I was just—it blew my mind. I was so devastated by watching a left-hand <laughs> drummer play. I, yeah. I don't—I don't like him anymore. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> no, I don't no. not like him, but I didn't enjoy yeah. watching. And watching drummers is like when you first get into music and you're seeing bands playing stuff like that. To be able to watch the drummer and learn is such a, a good. It's just something about so satisfying to hear drums and then get to see them and stuff like that, and I was so off-put by the left handed
2: <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, that's like when I saw the guy for Sayason. uh I don't know his name, but but I was so impressed uh, with, with just his feel and just watching him play.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's definitely got – I mean, maybe being different or left-handed or different-brained, may, maybe is part of or works. So I don't know if there's anything possible there, but maybe could work to his oh, advantage. Oh, that's exactly there's be something that's... In the brain wiring that's different about a left-handed person maybe that yeah. contributes.
2: Well, Steve's playing, uh, you know, and since you know that record, uh, yeah, it's very unique. Steve is incredibly unique, and everybody was incredibly unique in that band, and and uh, so it was, uh, you know, more than a, a privilege to work with those guys.
0: Well, is it? I mean, so the reason I like that so much, that band so much, is because it's. uh, And this has been one of the main things I've used as a premise for music. It's uh, outrageously complex, and at the same time, or it's really technical, but at the same time, very easy to follow. So that's super simple formula that I think should work. I think it works in literature and movies, or and all kinds of music is to have some complexity there but not but it's opposite of just being virtuosic or show-offy kind of thing so that record is so technical and time signatures and feels and all those things and then it's unbelievably tied together where all you got to do is follow the vocal melody and you are just safe as can be as a listener and just totally hooked in that way so that's the i think that's why that that's what's so special about it from my point of view
2: yeah, I would agree with you. And, and I think part of it is the way that the records were written. Uh, all three of the records were done where the music was all completed first. And then
3: mm-hmm.
2: the, the singer had to write, which you should, you know, if you just listen to the music with no yeah. words, go, OK, write a song to this exactly. music. And you'd be like, what are you even going to think up? You know, so Chris, I mean, it's so brilliant. What he did, and then uh, uh, Jason also, yeah, uh, on the on the second record because it was the it was the same situation. So
0: yeah, there's there's something about it in that way. But so I was, you know, to me, I was wondering what your point of view is doing that and then doing Dashboard. I guess I still like Further Seems Forever better. I think it's the better incarnation, given the fact that it has that technical music and can still be that catchy kind of thing. Um, yeah I wonder what your take is on on that would what do you think is do you think it's better to to split and have dashboard there or or do you would you have preferred to see Chris stay with originally for seems for everyone they were going do you have a, a they there
2: well they're if I had a preference between the two then then further mm-hmm. you know for the reasons that you're saying at the same time uh and to me it's apples and oranges Mm -hmm. you know they're two different things
0: yeah obviously and 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 it's hard to argue with because i I don't think further if continued on would have ever been as successful as dashboard so from chris's point of view he made the right choice
2: yeah i mean uh further is is that indie band you know in the best sense you know just just uh just very unique and not really following a particular thing. There's a perfection mm-hmm. to a, in this raw inspiration that's going on. And, and it's amazing how all the things came together for, for that particular I'll a little bit
0: more of Moon is down here. But, um, yeah, I just think it's the perfect encapsulation of, of technical and catchy. And you're right. It would be hard to imagine what this would be like if you didn't hear the vocals, what you would think it really felt like. Yeah. I'm sure people are familiar with that, but that's just too much. Here's an example of something I think is really funny. This is like the catchiest thing I've ever heard with the most absurdly technical things, just cheesy and technical at the same time. I think this is just such a funny moment from any record. The catchiest, cheesiest lyric possible. Yeah high note and then you do this under it yeah <laughs> back to a different key different right. times in terms of that long of a drum thing thing to connect it and then just right back to where it was and then they got in and out of that and reconnected it to the original tempo and key which is that's a a hilarious thing to do it's quite a challenge and then to put those vocals over it just makes me laugh but with happiness
2: chris blew me away during that and and particularly this one moment when we were doing the last song which i really love like i can't remember the name of it but um and so he hadn't completed everything we're in the middle doing vocals and there's a couple guys i've worked with where they do this hold on man give me like 15 minutes And they go out, you know, leave the room. They come back in 15 minutes, and they have these lyrics that are like, how did you even Mm -hmm. think of this? You know, it's like the depth and the, you know, just the the way it connects. And, um, yeah, I I very much remember that moment with him.
0: That's Uh, something else. And then, you know, if you listen to Dashboard by Contrast, it's good. Uh, You know, it really is. uh, He's good musically on his own anyway but it's so weird thinking that i remember being disappointed with this like oh acoustic folk singer songwriter come on you know was, uh, but yeah in time i, I really wound up loving this true, record too
2: but it was very true and and um a lot of that to me what i loved in doing that record with him was um having that vocal delivery um Yeah, I mean, I I loved
0: it. What do you remember about the uh, little shift of gear, but what do you remember about doing the guitar, that acoustic guitar? How did that get recorded? What guitar was it?
2: Well, at the time, and it was the same with the Further Record, I was recording out of my second-floor apartment. Mm -hmm. And so I took a walk-in closet. I was set up in one bedroom, and then it was a two-bedroom place. The other bedroom, which was around the corner in the hallway, it had a walk-in closet and I spent about two grand trying to decently soundproof it. You know, it was like a mini little studio. I raised the floor, however. So when you did guitar, you kind of were, had to squeeze in there. So Chris had his, I think it was a Gibson guitar. And that sound is basically there's a microphone, a, I think a Lawson. It's like a, a Neumann copy mm-hmm. tube mic and a, and a Direct.
0: Yeah, I know that Lawson mic. Is it, is it 251 or something like that? Um, I can't remember the name of it, but Sprinkle has I, one of those. The okay. Lawson tube mic, yeah.
2: Yeah, it was like the first one he came out with, which was like a model of the, the U47. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that's what the vocals are. But it was it was a mixture of that with the direct sound.
0: Yeah, it's weird because the direct sound's in there, and it sounds good, you know. That's sometimes hard to do, or sometimes people don't like the direct sound. Um, it's hard to put your finger on, but that's one of my favorite acoustic recordings like that. But it's, you can hear the the... Whatever the the pickup in the pickup being used in their mixed,
2: yeah, but it's not a, very it, strong. it was a nice so. balance. It was a nice balance of both, and it worked for the for the uh, you know for the record. So
0: so the dashboard stuff now is the acoustic stuff, but also got really kick-ass. You know, kind of a drum sound, and there's even more room to hear the drums. So that's one thing that, about this, and I want to talk about 238 next, but. One of the things that makes those so nice is you really have room to hear the real drum sounds. Right, which because is it's so stripped. much different than more aggressive music, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, because it's stripped down. and
0: So you just have that, you know, you have that space kind of in there to hear the drums and everything. Yeah, A lot of your drums really uh, are similar sounding across different bands. And, and do you... Um, can... Do you have any idea why that is? And in a, in a sense they they remind me of a lot of drums from the period, but I think they're they pretty much stand out. I was wondering if you th- have anything that you think ties ties those bands together. I mean, I further dashboard <laughs> 238 uh, and some other stuff in there that is very similar in the way that sounds. Yeah. It's.
2: Well, you know what's interesting when you're saying that I I pretty much agree with you. Except for The Moon Is Down, because I think the one thing that's tying a lot of the drum sounds together is that I like to mix the ambient, the room mics in, pretty heavy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so definitely, particularly with the Ribbons and Sugar uh, record, mm-hmm. I really went for almost a bomb, you know Zeppelin. Yep. Uh, and, and so that compressed room mic sound and, and mixing that in. Um, but when I was hearing just now with The Moon Is Down, it's a bit of a drier yep. sound,
0: well, the more aggressive the music, the more full, you don't have a choice. You know, yeah, there's not as much room for it. But that's, what I, that's the thing about when I talk about 238, which you know, I know people know this music that I've already played, but I don't think a lot of people even know 238. I'm not sure if they're a. am sure they're not a big band, and unless you're older or from our you know, specific scene, I don't think they're a widely known band, but man, right. man, I really recommend anybody check out the band 238 because I think yeah. they're one of the best bands ever.
2: Yeah, that album is absolutely one of my favorites.
0: So I'm, I'll roll, uh, regulate the chemicals here. Cool. Um, I'll play the whole song. We'll try and talk over it. I'll make sure it's not too loud. But um, this, and I like this one better than the one after for some reason. I, a lot of my friends disagree. But this one, um, this song is so neat. The clean guitars on this album are incredible. But the most notable thing to me is how often they'll do something that's so empty. Where there's just right. a guitar over the so Like stripping. the thing that happens later in this song It's just it's just bizarre That they would leave stuff so empty And have, have that in there But uh, And I don't know this because I've met Chris Before a couple of times but I don't know him Know yeah. him that well But uh, what can you What do you remember about doing those 238 records?
2: Yeah Well the first one and the second one had Two different approaches And um the first one wasn't to a click and the second one was
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh this this out oh, no i really do if i was to pick
0: between the two it's the
2: same.
0: Uh, hang on a second i'm having a little bit of hard time hearing you and my sample at the same time i was thinking we could talk over the whole song but i'm having a little bit of trouble with it i, mean, I really wanted to play that one section um, one second You hear the music yeah. still, right? Yes, I do Okay Let me turn it down for me Okay Hopefully that won't interfere I'll turn it down a little bit for you too Anyway, say, say that you just had to repeat what you just said
2: Well, the, the first record was a much more I guess, for lack of a better word, indie approach mm-hmm. We had 10 days to do the record, basically awesome. We did that record in 10 days Which I thought was, you know, as cool because you have to move mm-hmm. Did the drums to tape, no click at another studio. Then we came Here's my back. my favorite part. Here we go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, that's just too cool. Right. Just the bass.
0: Uh-huh. It's just guitar. like, how could you resist not putting more there? And right. it's just so happy that, that it turned out that way. You couldn't. Yeah. You know, do you remember that? Like, uh, wh- like how it was arrived at to not layer more stuff there or put a rhythm track or anything?
2: It, it was just like it felt awesome it was just that bass going and uh and I love the space that's in the record Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: and then the prettiest part here with the clean this clean guitar just one and then yeah one of my favorite songs of all time I'm excited to be able to listen to it with the person that recorded it so any anything else you remember about that I'd love to hear I don't have any great questions
2: just that we had 10 days there was no click those drums are triggered too. I'm using the... the they do
0: not sound triggered.
2: Right. Oh. And that was the thing is like to take the time to, to get it to not do that. I, I'm trying to think. I couldn't have done all that triggering and stuff in that 10 days, but I also worked insane hours mm-hmm. back then. Um, so, and let me think. What I loved about that record, it was the time too, as far as like the indie scene where... If you listen to that that record, there's songs that have four different parts Mm -hmm. that never repeat. And that's the song. Yeah. You know, there isn't really even a chorus. It just it just moves. And my whole thing at the time in working with them is how does this feel? You know, and and Chris wrote in a way that whole record has a perfection to it. So the whole thing was just to really execute it, you know. And so my my thing in working with the guys was how do we get this recorded? Where it connects with what the where they were at with writing it.
0: Well, it's some, maybe it's something about the 10 day thing, meaning that you have to already know what's going on, you have to have already been in the room and played it a million times before you could possibly be, you know, to go into the studio knowing what your time budget is. So you have no, to, I don't think we did really.
2: No, I that and that's that's kind of a cool thing, too. It's just let's do it, let's begin. Let's do it.
0: And you just have to make and, a decision and you're, and, that's it. and you're,
2: yeah, you're just going with it. You're working with the guys. You're, you're, you know, everyone is respecting each other and, mm-hmm. and excited about it. And, uh, and we're creating and it, it went very, very well. I mean, I really like, that's one of my favorite records, uh, as far as working with, with a band
0: wow that's that's interesting to hear so they just came in and worked out parts that weren't even there and didn't intend
2: well they had parts that I mean, you know they had a sense but we worked yeah i mean they had parts i might have thought of something it was just moving along <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it and and it, it's interesting because that is one of the few albums where it's like yeah this lead is going and mm-hmm. I remember really digging that. It's like all that's going on is drums and bass and this lead. And I also love the amp we used. We used a matchless. Mm-hmm. And uh, that particular amp just had such a beautiful, pure tone. Um, there's another song, Dana, uh, on there. And it's mm-hmm. like that. Dana, 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 Dana. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, I love that's like one of my favorite Guitar tones.
0: Yeah, it is. That that one is, is really good. There's some, I mean, just really amazing guitar stuff on there if you listen to it. It's very, very fun. So I want to trace a little bit of the drums because those, to me, don't sound triggered at all. Um, and it really captures, I, again, like I said, time period. And then as time goes on, you have newer and newer and more and more modern sounds. And I want, I'm want. i curious your take on, on the evolution of that kind of thing. So... I don't. I don't know if I have these in any kind of order or not. But you did a Paramore? Let's see. What record do you think you did first? A Academy Is record or Paramore? Do you remember when those were?
2: Those were right around the same time. Okay. Well, um, the, for in, in yeah, any case, here's very a close clip to each
0: other. Academy Is. This, this still reminds me of the same thing, but still tighter, punchier. Yes. Still here. So what what happened up to this point? From what you're doing. Couple things on that. Well, of course, we're to
2: the click The drummer uh, was a little weak on his hitting, Mm -hmm. and we tracked that whole thing in three weeks. Mm -hmm. And when we were about two weeks into it, I said to, uh, it was John Janik from Fueled by Ramen, I was like, this album's amazing, John, and you gotta let me mix this. Give me some more money, please, so I can mix this on an SSL.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Don't let me—I don't want to do a computer mix with this stuff. Uh-huh. And so we actually went through quite a process of trying to find a, a good studio, and then that was the first real album that I mixed on an SSL, which was a really painful
0: uh, process. <laughs> what was painful <laughs> about it, learn how to use it and do the automation I on had it, or what? No idea
2: what I was doing, and I just had to make it up. And I had—I to I turned the record in like two days before Christmas on a Saturday that was like an hour before FedEx closed. And if I had missed that, they were going to lose like $30,000 of ads uh, that they had already done. Wow. Uh, and and so there was all this pressure. Um, but yeah, so that record was mixed on the SSL and like a dirty SSL too. It was like a, a 79, one of the, one of the early SSLs and the converters were really grainy sounding and, it, it, it got a, a particular sound. And all those drums are completely replaced mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, and that ended up to me, I, I liked how it came out. It well, was punchy
0: and tighter and still some more room. And then you get into this Paramore. Now there's even less space really to hear. So hard to and this sounds a little bit closer to what drums sound like. You know, the next kind of well, phase. Well,
2: I'm, I'm not mixing this. And you didn't and mix that one, okay. Right, right. And so
0: that's Mike that's Green. That's probably the I'm big difference.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Mike was doing his thing, uh, and I'm... Tr- yeah, that is that is one of the songs that I did. I was just do, making sure. Do
0: people that. know that, that the guy that mixes the record can totally change all the sounds? Not all of them, but do, I don't right, know if people right. know that or not, because I'm not even paying attention to all, what all credits you have on mixing or not, but... Um, I don't know if people know that. Well you can turn uh, you can turn in a record and the mix if you want to, if the guy wants to and you want him to, that's his style, the mixer can say, Okay, see you later drum sounds if he wants. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: he can totally, yeah.
0: Do you uh, do you like do you uh, get irritated if people do that to you like that? Do you think you could've do you, do you like what happened to the drums then if if they're not the way that you would have done it?
2: Well, on that record, I I didn't spend a lot of time with them. Um and and because i had other stuff going on so they came in and and uh i think we did like three songs and then and then they went and and did the rest with mike
0: well that's what that's why i pulled it the clip because i thought it sounded pretty i was like oh at some point he st- cer- certainly started doing different things drum wise so that that's why because you didn't mix it they did on that particular yeah. record yeah, so that's that. good to know that my ear caught something being different there right, but yeah. w- what about on under oath did you mix that or did jr mix that JR McNeely. Okay, well, how how do you think those drums turned out? I liked. What Are he they did. still your drum sound, or do you hear it more? Because JR doesn't replace everything; he adds a, just some stuff from what, from what I know of his. He doesn't completely replace everything, but let's listen to this. So let's not even right. Does those sound like your drums to you? Pretty much the
2: toms. I know he he kept, mm-hmm. like he didn't replace those. We had a nice. Kind of tone on those, mm-hmm. and I remember we used an AOT kit and uh, and a very small bass drum. I don't know if it was like fourteen; it was like really small,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or maybe it was a twenty. That's what it is—not a fourteen, a twenty. Um, and the snare was the general tone, but I, I, I'm pretty sure he mixed something in with that. Sure.
0: But I think what Jr. was doing, at least when we were—he was doing some of our stuff around 2005 and six. That's right. Yeah. He was doing like. Um, he said he wouldn't, sa- he, he had a just the sound of a snare, it's a sample he had of a, of hitting the rim of the snare drum without yeah. touching the head that he would right. mix in really loud with the hit that the drummer did. So you right. get it mo- kind of like a rim shotty thing without replacing it with some really slamming whole drum sample. It was just the attack of the, the snare drum, the stick on the snare drum rim is what, yeah. is what he was doing around that time. Um, but I like a lot of JR's mixes, but that under oath record probably, I suppose that's the other one that people, uh, reference a lot or probably had a lot of people come to you because of, huh? Yeah, definitely. That was gold. You have more than one. What else do you have this gold. You have a couple of gold things, right? Dashboard and under oath and, uh, and, and
2: paramore. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if that, I, I don't think that the Academy is, I don't think that record went gold. I, I, I think that was more like two to three hundred. Um, yeah, so that's about it offhand.
0: Yeah, I remember when Undereath was doing that record. We were in Florida for one of the first or second times, to kind of going through Florida there. And you'd done the one the record of theirs before, I know. The Changing of Times, you did that one, right? Yeah. Um, and so we had come through, so we knew them and played a couple of shows. And they were it was before they made that record, so they were just you know some other band that we. would done some shows with at the time, and they came to our show at The Social. We played The Social, and I think it was while they are in the studio with you. And they came out to our show then and were telling us about it and what was going on. And Tim told me, he said that um, they were... See if you remember this or if it's true or not. I don't remember exactly, but he said something along the lines of you'd finished almost all the record, and then... Y'all, I got some new guitar amp sound that was better, so you made Tim go back and replay all the guitars with the the new, the better amp setting that you had found. <laughs> like you had wow. played a bunch of tracks, and then you tweaked the amp a little bit more. And you're like, "Whoa, that sounds better than what we were doing," er, you know, last week, and which, went which back record? and recorded a bunch of uh, g- guitars over just to get the new amp setting on it. Which which record? On "Chasing Safety." Oh, "Chasing Safety." Mm-hmm. That might have been the case
2: because I. Um, they were the first band that I was recording at my house. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, and definitely a reason too is uh, even when Tim did his scratch tracks, he had his parts so down mm-hmm. that that he just nailed stuff. So uh, I vaguely remember that. I'm pretty sure we did that.
0: That would make sense if he had them so down that you're like, well, yeah, this sounds that better. Be, so why don't you just re yeah. knock them out?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. His,
0: his his guitar playing really is good. I had him on and we talked about it a little bit one time uh, on here, people really in, enjoyed that getting to hear him talk about his playing. But he uh, he's very super deliberate. That's what you found with him that he just uh, real organized and just nailed his parts. They're all predetermined.
2: That was a big thing that when mm-hmm. when he came in, uh, yeah, he was he was one of the most um, yeah when, when we were doing those scratch tracks because they'd also worked with uh, Matt Goldman.
3: Yeah, uh, that's and kind right. of went through
2: pre-production. That's right. So so went through that, and then the guys came in, um, and when we were doing those, you know, I remember as we were going through them, like that's freaking on and awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, we almost could have kept those; they were real tight.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Gillespie's a lot of fun to track too, huh?
2: Well, the thing with Aaron is that I think he takes the record for going through snares, and I think he went he went through anywhere between 11 and 13 <laughs> snare drums doing a nine song record because mm-hmm. there was one song that we didn't even have drums. Uh, and then the one song is uh, like a half a song, the last song on the record. So yeah, he was killing the snare.
0: Yeah, we, uh, I did, I engineered the second almost record with sprinkle and one of his worship albums. And I've with him two or three times in just recording, but he's a lot of fun. Um, He's a real happy, I mean, he really has a good time in the studio and doesn't overthink anything. I love that for somebody who's a good drummer who just totally charged up and plays hard and lets it go. He's not even super particular. He's just like, you like that? You know, what, you know, just lets it go and totally trusts his own play and like, he's confident but not arrogant at all kind of thing. He just says, yeah. Yeah. Was that good enough? Okay. Yeah.
2: He's great. Yeah. He is great.
0: That, that's cool. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I'm sure that's what people just love is that under oath record. I bet you get asked about it all the time. So I will try not to ask anymore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually, that's, uh, I'm fine with it. You can ask a few more questions.
0: <laughs> um, no, I don't even think I don't really think I have any. I, um, let's see what else. Oh yeah, I was I was still chasing down here the uh, difference in sound. So a band you did recently is, or in the one of the later bands you've done is I, I found it was hands like houses. Yes, So by this point, we've kind of come all the way to really a new era. Now, this is real modern sounding stuff. Yeah. So same producer over time. And here's a clip from this. Um, This is so... I don't know the word for it but I wouldn't have listened to this really identified or tagged you as the producer of it. So it sounds right. a good bit different than all the previous stuff there. Is this where you're at now or how do you explain that so much of a difference if you in in style across a decade or so?
2: Well, let me ask you too. Do you have a song off the album they just released?
0: I can tr- I don't. Not off. Not off. Oh, top okay. Hand. I can try was, to dig one up, but no, I don't think I can pull it up technically here. Got it. Got it. Time. That's all
2: right. That's all right. Uh, I happen to just be very proud of it too, and I actually made some upgrades to the studio. I'm mm-hmm. basically always pushing to to keep growing and. What is the and, new one
0: called? The new record? I'll tell people. to Ah, uh, it's to called it. Dissonance. Dissonance by Hands of Houses is the new one. Ha- and hands like houses. Hands like houses. And what? Yeah. Uh, what? What sounds? What do you think is on that one that sounds even different than this one? How does it sound to you?
2: Well, the thing is, those are two different, the, okay, the, the evolution of the band. Um, so the record we were just listening to, they had done a, another record, a really good record, uh, with a guy, Cameron Mizell,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and, but Cameron has a very particular style. And so they did that record and then they came to me and they said, you know, Cameron did some great stuff, but at the time we didn't really know what we were going for. We let Cameron do his thing. So that record was more about exploring and just wanting to do something that really felt true to them. And, and so we did that. And I happened to mix that. That is an in the box mix. Mm -hmm. Um, The latest record was more like, okay, we've got something here and we know we have a very original sound uh, but they did want to try to find something. They were a little more business-minded about it. We wanted to do something that felt really true, but at the same time would be something that that everyone would connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we did on, on that record. And so those two records definitely have two different sounds uh, to them.
0: If somebody came to you now and said, we want to make a record that sounds like the moon is down or sounds like 238, would you and could you? Yes. Or do you think it's just different now? It wouldn't be the same. Because
2: I don't think in terms like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing for me is that if, if I'm not, I'm my whole thing in working with a band is just working with the band to create something that they they want to do. And I'm trying to work with them to make something. The goal for me is to make something that really authentically expresses what they want to express, mm-hmm. and hopefully for them, is uh, surpasses their expectation. Of you know, it's like, man, this is not only what we wanted to create, but this is better than yeah than I thought. Which is kind of a fine line. You it know?
0: is. I wonder how you approach this. Is a good producer question. How do you treat tuning and editing and replacing heavy-handed things? A lot of producers, um, or something I've noticed at least, is the better producers do. That and they almost always diminish it or hide it or don't, not hide it, but really don't draw attention to the fact of what they're doing to make the music sound better. How do you come down on that? I try to do that. To make it um, not obvious to the artist. Yeah. Right. Like
2: very much In particular with, uh, with tuning,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I really, really try to make sure that it, that it feels natural
0: feels Um, natural, but I'm saying even from their point of view because this is I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to a band and after being an engineer and producer and doing it, I talked to a band and I was like, how was it working with so-and-so? And And they go, oh, it was awesome. He didn't replace anything, didn't have to tune anything, didn't edit anything. (laughs) And I said, yeah, right. I mean, I can hear it all day long when they show show me the record like, Okay, whatever. Right, right. Like, but they, but the band genuinely believes that is because the producer oftentimes will de-emphasize, uh, and in fact, the better the producer typically will de-emphasize what it is that they do. Because on the other hand, it's really amateur for a somebody recording a band to go, "I'm going to fix this. Watch this. I, you were way off here. I fixed you there. Listen how much right, I quantized right. these drums. That's what an amateur recorder producer does." And sure, the sure. Contrast the 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 best producers. They go, "Oh, yeah, just my." little touch little touch of something yeah (laughs) and then the artist doesn't even really know that how much the the producer's really done there
2: yeah well part of it too is um you know how how good of a musician Mm -hmm. is the guy playing you know so i'm not going one way or another i'm I'm not really trying to actively hide anything i'm Mm -hmm. just basically doing my thing but i'm not you know flaunting it that yeah was, it's i mean if you stupid.
0: do it's, it can really be a bummer but the psychology i think the interesting thing is about the psychology of the guy recording it because yeah you want the band to feel like you're valuable and doing something useful so you almost yeah. want to show them your tricks or something mm. but that only makes them feel like wait don't mess with my stuff or do you not think i'm good you know it can be really counterproductive to yeah over tech with the band there
2: sure absolutely um yeah i'm trying to uh I'm trying to just get the things that I can't do, which is get the emotion
3: mm-hmm.
2: and get the you know intensity or the yeah you know what are they meaning with the song or or with the drummer to you know, um,
0: yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. What stuff do you what is what do you? Uh, I'm glad to hear you feel like you're still record bands that you like and love and are committed to doing it. But compared to a jaded person you, you don't, which you don't seem to be at all, but what are the things that you just don't like about the business and recording when you're doing it, or the, the either the business or the the job itself? the things that are a real drag
2: Well, one of the things because I'm always trying to improve things is the technical curve uh of things not working mm-hmm. you know while you're trying to you know uh, I've yet to work with a computer that I'm not pushing mm-hmm. to where it is too much for it amazing
0: given how much co- be- theoretically and supposedly right. computers are better uh, but then well, the pro tools just winds up hogging it all i guess with the way they design their new software every time or something i don't yeah. really know how that works well, like. try to, uh,
2: you know like the hands like houses i i did at thir- 96k mm-hmm. and and so that alone you know kind of push things um you know what? It's weird, like business-wise. Um, say the question one more time, just so. What? I can...
0: Just what are the things that you dislike about the about the job that you have, whether it be business, oh the business or the recording, or the? That's a good answer. The technical stuff that, that can bother you. What are the stuff when you're just like, this is what? If I was ever going to quit this, this is what pushed me over the edge. I don't think I can take it anymore because of.
2: Right. Yeah. Let me see. Well, the technical can be very trying mm-hmm. sometimes. Ah, uh, because I'm really trying to think of the most freak anything that will make it sound better because I hate in the box mixing. I hate the closed in almost one dimensional sound mm-hmm. and and I'm trying to have it, you know, so that is a heavy one for me. Uh, band wise, and I said this on 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 another podcast is is the band being prepared yeah. you know, uh taking the time, putting like if I'm really putting you know, myself into something, uh, for, for the band to be doing the same. Mm -hmm. And one, and a couple times in my life I have dealt with a musician where it's like, you know, dude, come on, you know, Uh why are you playing? You know, like, like you, you're coming, you guys are coming to me and, and you're, because it kind of becomes a weight that they're putting on you. If they don't have,
0: you mean somebody that's either not good or doesn't care?
2: Uh, yeah. Not even owning it, you mm-hmm. know, like, like, you know, we'll, we'll be like kind of saying excuses about stuff other than, man, I need to work on my, I have a lot of guys who are like, wow, I didn't know, you know, cause there's a lot of bands where it's like, oh, we're going to fly through our parts or whatever. And everything's going to go quick. And I'm like, okay, but it's probably not, you know, <laughs> but Hey. And so they come in and it's like an educational experience, mm-hmm. you know, but occasionally I've gotten a guy where it's like, dude, you know, um, you know, let me play that part.
0: <laughs> yeah. And maybe just do it when he, after he leaves, fix it up. I've been in that situation a few times where I just, after yeah. they left, just do it or whatever. It depends on the band, of course. But um, yeah. the the thing that gets me the most, I cannot believe, is when you care more about the bass part than the bass player, for instance. Like, you, mm. you know, like I've been there talking to say, well, okay, but what is that chord or why would you want to try this note or okay? And then almost we're like, I'm excited about it. And he, and he just looks at me like, Okay. Whatever.
2: Wow. What you, no, I, you know, fortunately, I have not really it,
0: have had the displeasure going with I that. I attribute it almost to people that want to be in a band more than they care about music. Is that yeah. is the attitude there that mm-hmm. that what you said reminded me of? Which is like it's on you or whatever. Like yeah, I mean I'm the bass player or whatever, but you just I mean part of it's that maybe they respect me and say well what do you think I should do? But it's almost this air for some people like it's just, just whatever. I'm just here to do my parts, but my job is to be on stage and meet people and look, (laughs) get Get girls or whatever.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, I, you know, the, the only other thing, and it's not, and it's not certainly not something where it's like, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just that when I work with a band and maybe, you know, we find that we're not totally on the same page Mm -hmm. and certain things that I'm bringing to the table, they're like, well, you know, and then I have to kind of, uh, well, one, check my ego, and then look at the big picture and be like, what are these guys trying to do? And let's, you know, let's do that. And and fortunately, there's never really been something where, um, you know, I've been disgusted with, yeah. <laughs> with where they want to go, you know, I mean, there's always that thing where it's like, oh, you know, I, I'm, you know, might even feel a little hurt or something. But that's just, you know, that's the way it goes, mm-hmm. you know,
0: you know what the other one is? It's the opposite of the one I said before. It's the one where somebody isn't very good, but they care a ton and try to insert themselves <laughs> in everything. I don't know if that's insecurity. You know, It's like a, right, right, right. a certain musician isn't as good as everybody else, so he has to weigh in on everything and is just unbelievably picky about everything that you do. You right. get that one.
2: Let me, let me ask you if you've, if you've had this. Have you ever had a band where I, I find sometimes there's the one guy – where every idea he has, nobody relates to. Mm -hmm. He just keeps coming up with these ideas, and it's just basically the whole thing of being like, no, we don't want to do that. Not not just me, but everyone in the band. But it's
0: (laughs) it's nothing personal. It's probably that his ideas aren't that good, which the reason he has so many ideas, my theory on that would be because he's insecure in the first place. So Mm -hmm. he's trying to insert himself and parrot ideas that sound like ideas that people with actual talent would have. (laughs) <laughs> but he not well, that's not any good. And so he thinks he has to make up for that by being involved. And then the other guys have to go, oh mate, and kind of I mean, it's not like they're trying to be mean to the to whoever that is, but they just kinda of have to, yeah, we could try that and you, and everybody knows you're gonna waste ten minutes and then get it mm. back to where it was in the first place. But you have uh, to be nice. I hear you there.
2: I you know, the thing you're pointing to is as, as a as a producer is all the psychology mm-hmm. that's going on and and even getting a sense of everybody's personality and there's I've refined a speech for the guys before they even come in, you know, and one of the big things is I want you guys to sit as a band and talk about what you're looking to create Mm -hmm. because um, sometimes you get in and, and not everyone's trying to create the same thing. Uh, And then you do get guys that their attitude or where they're coming from with things uh, is, is not always about entirely with that, that artistic, you know, Uh, expression there's a little bit of ego going on and and you got to kind of try to work that out
0: what do you uh what do you hope for well first of all do you have anything else you don't have anything else you're hoping to to accomplish professionally other than make records and do that at whatever capacity do you have anything else you would like to accomplish (laughs) in life
2: yeah i do and 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 right now it hasn't really like I do have a sense that I'm not really going to be, and this is just my, my internal sense at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, if it happens, it happens, but I, I've kind of gone on that my whole career anyway, and that is I don't think that I'm really going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Okay. Maybe I will because I do enjoy working with bands, but I have a, I have a sense that there's some way for me to do stuff, and it's with, with my music somehow. Okay. And it's not necessarily that I go and make a big hit or however. I mean, there's many ways of creating music and and, Mm -hmm. uh, with that. But I do have a strong uh, sense of creativity in terms of writing music. And it's completely different than the scene. It's Mm -hmm. it's got nothing to do. It's almost new age, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, And so that's just something I want to, I feel like that's something that I'm going to be trying to find a way uh, with.
0: That's interesting. Uh, if that's
2: answering the question. No, it it's you know?
0: definitely answers the question. That's exactly where I'm going. Is uh, And so what? what is, uh, when you think about legacy, what do you hope for in, ter- in terms of that, like after you're gone even? What, do, does that even matter to you?
2: Well, you know what?
0: Yes and no, because I'm not
2: thinking I've got to, you know, my legacy. I almost kind of think that stuff at a certain point, it's doesn't mean a whole lot. Even in the greatest guys that I guess if it leaves a legacy that's that's uh that's inspiring to other people, then in that, yes. And and so if there is a legacy, and I'm not like consciously, you know, building that, but I like to try to do something with excellence mm-hmm. and not try to half ass something and, and try to do the best job I can do. So when people reach out and say dude i love what you did on that record and it's inspired me you know with with the moon is down and with the under oath there were guys who were like that's the record that that's why i got into music you know where it's that kind of thing it's like that's pretty cool mm-hmm. and so if i could try to do that type of excellence and if it goes in that direction mm-hmm. then great
0: well this is a question i try to ask to frame that even more is would you trade more ability, more uh, success, more uh, functional, achieving more achievement of things that you want to do personally. Would you trade that? You know, have five more records like that done, complete your solo stuff. Be, you know, be able to make all this music and connect with a bunch of people with y- your own things. But when you die, you, those projects live on, but your name is erased from it would you take that? Like it, the thing still lived yeah. there, but nobody knows it was you yeah. who, who made it. I mean, your family remembers who you are, but other than that, professionally, your, your web pages are all scraped.
2: Yeah. You'd take I'd have that. no problem with it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cause it's kind of a joke. <laughs>
2: it's kind of funny, you know, because I'm not even around at that point. I mean, it's just, like I say, if it's something where someone goes, man, that dude inspired me, just like our great, the, the people that inspired us, you know, uh-huh. uh, the people that moved us, Um, you know, like I really, and I want to get into his stuff more, but David, David Bowie, when he passed, had a real big impact on me. And as I, as I listened to him, I'm like, man, this guy was really cool and what he was about. And, but not like he was trying to, he was just honoring something inside himself. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing for me. I'm, um, I'm honoring something inside myself. And if I can encourage someone else to do the same, whether it's about me or not, I don't really care.
0: I like that so, answer. I think I gravitate towards something along those lines. Some people say, they react like, wait, you shouldn't be trying for more success or abilities in this life. Like, that's the selfish thing, you know. But I, I disagree. I think if you're pursuing something for what you want to do, it's just what you're trying to do, not how not how anybody else defines it or says you're successful or whatever. To me, the highest I, goal is functionally to be able to do what I'm trying to do today, better or more of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, so there's an action, but where you're coming from is everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's almost to me like saying money is the root of all evil. Um, on one end, yes, you could be that, but then there's people who have a lot of money who are doing some amazing things, Mm -hmm. uh, who are, who are very clear on, on what they're being driven by, uh, and to use it for something. Yeah. Um, even people who are stars, you know, I look at a guy like Brad Pitt and when I see like, Oh, he's been doing stuff over in, in Africa and, and, Using his star power to to, to do something good, um, then that's great stuff.
0: Interesting. Well, James, I appreciate your time and I've in, enjoyed getting to talk to you, somebody that um, I've listened to and thought about a good bit and I find you really easy to talk to. So thank you for for doing this with me today.
3: Very
2: much enjoyed it, man. So uh, my pleasure. All right. Nice to meet you. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.